This week, we're talking about fables for children, the child within and the child without. How do you tell entertaining stories for kids about difficult topics? How do you do that by being kind to your audience and to yourself? We're talking about monsters and men, the wicked and the weasels, fables, fae, and fiends, and friends. It's a wide-ranging and wonderful conversation with the incomparable Fred Greenhalge, right here on Radio Drama Revival. Hello, and welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm David Reinstrom, filling in for your usual host, the exalted, the most high, the not here right now, Elena Fernandez Collins. And that means that it's my privilege to introduce this conversation that Ellie had with our dear friend, Fred Greenhalge. Fred is only a few years older than me, but I've always been in awe of his wisdom, his kindness, and his craft. He is the very best of men, and uh, he'll know what I'm talking about when he hears that. I really enjoyed listening to the conversation between these two very smart friends, and I know you will too. In this interview, Ellie and Fred discuss dark fantasy and the way Disney has sanded the edges off of everything, the, the, the frequently unmet need that children have to process uncomfortable things, how to turn your friend into a dragon, and the exigencies that capitalism places upon gender expression on people living in market economies. You know, the, the usual. And I wouldn't have it any other way. Let's take a listen. We're really excited to have Fred, uh, Fred Greenhalge on RDR uh, to talk about Of Fae and Fiends, which for several months I kept typing as Of Fae and Friends because I can't read. Um, <laughs> thank you for coming on the show, Oh, I'm so happy. This is like homecoming. I know, I know I'm just going to like channel David for a second because David always is like would convey that like there's like a sofa and like there's probably <laughs> like a nice warm sheep pelt because and I hope, sorry any vegans here but it's a you know anyways i got the little sheep pelt on the on the couch and oh yeah just happy to be home <laughs> good yeah no we're really really happy to get to talk to you because you know you're you're part of our team but also like you make you make a lot of fiction and you also teach about audio like for free um and so you you've done a lot of work in this space in a lot of different ways and so i think that it is definitely past time to have you come on again to talk about your work and about, you know, different aspects of it to help people think about storytelling. Yeah, uh, love to do it. And, you know, it's really been, you know, a wild journey. You know, I, you know, continue to try and always have beginner's mind and think about, you know, when I was 19 and broke and, you know, the technology was crappier then, but it was, you, you sort of have the same indie spunk of like, I got to make something and I got to figure out a way to do it. And like, that's, that's, yeah. And, and I think there's, it's like, uh, recently a friend of mine and I were talking about how in a world where, you know, because of capitalism, because of all these other forces and despair, you know, it's really easy to, there's lots of reasons to not do a project uh, and to talk yourself out of it. And so we just really reassure ourselves that, you know, creating art is an act of resistance um, and it helps it make it feel worthy because sometimes it can be like, really is making this show like important in a world where there's so much wrong with it. But we, we say, well, yes. <laughs> and so that's that's my, like my core message is if your heart has a story to tell, tell it and whatever way you have of making it is going to work. There's no right or you know, there's only the only right way is the thing that's right for your story. And every story is a product of 
what is available for resources in terms of like, you know, time, money, creativity, other things. And, uh, and it's going to be great. And it's going to be, it doesn't need to be, you know, top trending thing on iTunes to be, to do what it needs to do, which, uh, might be just to find the person who needs to hear it when they're in a dark place and they need a laugh or a smile or to connect with a character. And that, that can be enough. And, and in the way I look at it, 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 I think the, the 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 sort of metric part of the way art is made it make it kind of sometimes allows us to get sucked into like looking at the wrong things. But ultimately, storytelling is about you know ha- helping us try to understand what it means to be human. Um, so that so we need we need as much of that as possible. Fred, this entire interview is going to be you being able to set up my next question perfectly. <laughs> I just realized. Great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, you talked about being, you know, 19 and broke. Um, and, and so my first question <laughs> was um, about what led you into audio production. But in particular, what is it about of Faye and Fiends that exemplifies your ethos for your storytelling? Mm. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Wow. How about a great setup? So, you know, Fae and Fiends is a product of pre-COVID and is emblematic of a style that I'm really proud of that is no one can say they invented anything because that that's the easiest way to get an eye roll because it's like whatever. Um I I I don't know a ton of people who have done kind of the style so there are two shows in a row the so fain fiends followed dark tome season two which is the first time i did sort of a field recording studio recording hybrid style which is sort of taking two schools of thought and marrying them within a single production so there is a uh on location recorded style where we have actors out in the real world with a sort of film style location sound kit uh recording their scenes in in real time in real spaces um, that was a style that actually I got into that because uh, way back in the day, again, going back to 19 and broke, uh, the, 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 the resource I had access to was a community radio station, uh, which is beautiful. I still love them, WBG. Uh, but the, the space was not great for making audio fiction because it was, it was community radio in the most beautiful sense where it was always a community space. So therefore, uh, you know, even if you went there late at night to try it, you know, you, you could use the space for free. But there would always be music bleeding through the wall or, you know, people in the building meeting about doing various things. And so it wasn't actually really a quiet place to record. And the equipment was set up for, uh, you know, radio broadcast, not for not for audio fiction. So I got, uh, you know, there's a point early in my career. I was like, I'm not quite uh, getting the results that I want, but I, I, I and I'm hearing stuff that is is good. And I'm like, how do I get there? And. It was Roger Gregg of Ire- and uh, Crazy Dog Audio Theater in Ireland who encouraged me to go on location. He had just done uh, Infidel wow. um, yeah. with, a, with an equestrian handle, which may, may be the only radio program to ever ever had an equestrian handler on on the staff. But it was oh, it was great, amazing. It, was, it's, it holds up because it, it's it's like you know it's a story of you know cultures coming into conflict and uh you know and a guy who's been forced to go outside his culture and realize that everything he thought about the other culture was completely wrong and yeah anyway so so there you go go. uh 
<laughs> so so that got me into radio. And so really, when I started doing it on location, it was because I had no other way I knew how to record, or it was like, and, and I and I also that sort of resonated with me because I had learned filmmaking. And so okay, okay, great, I get it. I I have a little dat recorder. Wow. And and this shotgun. Wow, mic. way to date yourself, buddy. No. <laughs> um, so, anyways, that that led to uh, early field recording projects. The you know the first huge project, serialized project he did, the cleansed was a location recorded, and and that kind of was the resume builder that allowed me to pitch Audible when we had the opportunity to do Lock and Key, which was huge and epic and on location. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then and, you know not to take all day just on this topic, but we then <laughs> moved in the studio when we did X-Files for Audible. Um, that experience, uh, you taught me and my uh, dear friend and co-producer, Billy Fries, that we we needed, we like a lot of the studios we were renting for that project were like music studios and they just didn't, weren't really well set up for what, for audio fiction. And so we basically converted his garage into this uh, beautiful multi-voice space. Because really... All you need is a quiet room to do this. Like it doesn't. You go. You go look at these like mm-hmm. fancy like music studios, and they've got like you know it looks like the bridge of the Starship Enterprise with all the like rack gear, <laughs> and there's like you know sweet looking guitars on the walls and all this stuff. And you don't need any of that really to do this. You just need a relatively quiet room, basically, and and mics. Uh, so we we were able to set up something, and and we and part of it was also feeling validated. We had gone to. London to record Gillian Anderson for X-Files and, and record in an audible space, which is not like extravagant. It's a pretty small, small, quiet room. And they're like, well, come on. Like if, if this, if this is good enough for Gillian Anderson, we could, we could build this in your garage. Bill. <laughs> uh, so, so the first season of the dark tome was recorded in, in that room. Uh, so that's a long way of getting to Fane Fiends because Fane Fiends is the second studio hybrid. It was, you know, possible in a pre-COVID reality. My uh, a dear friend has a uh, farmhouse in Maine that is essentially the the the, the set. You know, the per- the perfect set for the story. <laughs> so, you know, part of it also has to do with access. Like, if you don't have a friend who has a eighteen hundreds barn and lets you go there for free, it, you're it, it, you're probably is not a good option for you. But because I yeah. because that option was available to me and, and because, you know, because I, I am a main based, you know, storyteller, this is a main based story. It's a family story. Uh, place was important. And so that's that's sort of where that fits in. And then as soon as uh, Lizzie enters the realm of Faye, you're hearing studio recordings. So that that's what you're hearing. You're hearing um, some stuff that's shot like a movie, uh, except with no camera. And some stuff that's recorded in a sort of more traditional voiceover, uh, but ensemble with, with you know, multiple actors in, in a room together, which is something that, you know, 18 months later, we were going <laughs> to, we have something next week that was going to be our first in-person recording. And we've, and we've, we've gone back to putting people yeah. in separate booths because it's like not, you know, we're not feeling comfortable with that. So no. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, the, be responsible, everybody. Yeah. And, and I'll, you know, I, I could go on my own rant about, about like, Remote recording, I do think, I I definitely was a skeptic at, at at one point, or like, will this be as good as stuff I've done in a studio environment? And I today I will say absolutely yes. And so any sort of like you know audio engineer, nerdy you know sort of like 
looking down my nose at, at remote recording is gone and i'm i'm sorry if i ever said a snide comment about remote recording i'm sorry um because it can be well i've never heard you say a snide no, i try not to recording. i try to keep it positive so. because there's no point there's enough <laughs> nasty people in the world you don't really need to you know anyways yeah. uh, and i'll say the technology the technology has improved quite a bit and i imagine it'll improve quite a bit more like you know when people were uh, courageously creating remote recordings back in 2007 over Skype, you know, like today, uh, between, you know, all the tools available, it's, it's a significant improvement. And I'm guessing that, you know, five years from now, it'll be, you know, completely pristine because, you know, because capitalism, <laughs> there's a, there's a market need. Yay. It's fine. I'm not going to go into my capitalism rant this yeah, early. Not, not, um. <laughs> that'll, take us, that'll take us the rest of the evening. Um, so Fane Fiends, you know, despite the fact that it's a fantasy, it's actually one of the more personal works that I've ever made. And, you know, frankly, as a, as a writer, I'm, uh, you know, getting uh, increasingly comfortable leaning into discomfort about, you know, digging into myself uh, and, and, and works, uh, stories that I put out there. Fane Fiends was really, because I wanted to create a piece of audio fiction I could share with my daughter, that was the, really one of the driving forces behind it. And, you know, it ended up taking a very particular form because it's kind of a parable about uh, childhood trauma. Um, a lot of those my traumas, a lot of those family traumas in my family or adjacent to my family, you know, encoded in fairy tales. And, you know, part of the joy of being a parent is that you get to be a child again. And... Yeah, if I'm going to be real, uh, right about the eight, you know, uh, when she was around seven, that's the time my parents were divorced and it was not pretty. And there was something about reliving, you know, reliving the world from her eyes that, um, yeah, like that I, I, there's something that I want to share about this experience that uh, somehow making a, a story about a, uh, talking unicorn and <laughs> dashing uh, weasel is going to uh, allow us to you know, communicate in a in a way. And this is what's beautiful about stories in general is that the you know the gory details of that story are you know just not the things that are easy to process, uh, even with a grown up point of view. But again through storytelling we can sort of uh you know take the the monsters and like make them miniature and and stab them so that's very gratifying that um gratifying. so that that's kind of where there's you know there's a lot you know to unpack there but that's sort of the and that that mixed with like uh kind of rediscovering re-falling in love with um just how dark fairy tales are you know before disney mm -hmm. destroyed them um disnified them yeah and and yeah that's a whole aside but you know the the you know there's a real truth there's a real truth to you know there's some reason that these stories got passed down for hundreds of years and uh and and yeah and the fact that uh, you know you know the the su supernatural beings in you know early pre-christian europe were was not you know, fantasy. And so there's, there is something true. Again, that's what, you know, I, one of the earliest things I learned in, in writing uh, classes was about how fiction is the lie that tells the truth. And I think there's, there's a truth 
there's a, some there's some sort of truth to what a fairy tale does that uh, somehow felt right for trying to uh, tell 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 us tell a family story using the 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 the, the clothing of, of fairy tales. So yeah, I, and actually I've I've been re-listening to the show recently, and you know I'm not it's not a show where I'm trying to do extensive sort of like new world building in addition to canon. Like what's new or or what's what's there is is really the the story of the characters is there, but there, you know, there's definitely you know, sort of shortcuts where we're like, you know, we're not going to try and reinvent certain like mythological beings. Like they, they sort of exist as public domain and, you know, it's cockatrice is a cockatrice. You see, it turns you to stone. It, it, you know, it, we, we maybe have a backstory with a cockatrice as opposed to sort of like, it's a mindless beast, but it's, we're not like inventing whole cloth new mythologies, but what we're trying to do is use those, that toolkit to, to do something interesting um, and again, it's in service to this particular story, and uh, yeah, and 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 you know the the techniques of audio allows a certain intimacy, allows a certain relationship of the the narrator to the person hearing the story, and yeah, and then some of the fun stuff with with the way we recorded it allows you to ha experience sort of multiple layers of story of like here's. You know, here's what a real world feels like. A, a real world is a place that's harsher, sharper. Uh, you know, you're more likely to get hit with a sickle in it uh, <laughs> than than this, you know, shiny, sparklier place over here where we we hope we can visit someday. And, you know, who knows? And if you ever get to visit there, you should stay. Uh, Disney is, you know, Disney. Uh, it's massive, massive conglomerate that everybody knows. Uh produced all these animated cartoons and is now going through and and uh, cashing in on their cash cow i guess uh making them live action um and then in the live action though they're trying to gridify it mm. right um they they like alice in wonderland got tim burtonized um uh what else um not Beauty and the Beast, really. Um, but several of them are, like, gridified. Maybe not in the exact story, but, like, in the design. Mm -hmm. um, like, right there, they're leaning a lot on dark tones. Um, like really, like, like not a lot of great lighting in the camera work. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> yeah. that I'm not actually in love with that aesthetic. To be, Me neither. Yeah. <laughs> Shocking. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious about... Um, your thoughts on on this um, division, I guess, that we have right now in, in the perception of what it means to be a dark fantasy or a dark fairy tale. Yeah. Right. Because you've got the, the Grimm brothers, like the original fairy tales that are truly dark. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then you've got uh, this newer capital, like commodified. Right. I guess uh, interpretation of of dark fantasy where really it's just right it's like it's it's gritty like fane fiends I, I i say the word gritty but i don't think it would necessarily translate in the in the sort of yeah. disney sense of gritty like it's, it's gritty because like we depict um parents fighting like a mom a mom fighting with her mom uh which some parents don't want to have their children experience adults fighting uh i saw that uh i saw you know uh you know, we, we, many people yeah. have seen things as kids that uh, they would prefer their children not ever have to see. And, you know, there's something about like fantasy violence that's 
not that's clearly fantasy violence that's different from like grappling with real issues uh there was a like last year there's a really interesting panel um uh, the book expo of america ended up going online and so i was able to actually see it and they had a panel on 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 ya uh novels and there was like this thought this question came up of like what is a pro what can you what can you put in what can you not put into a ya novel and the answer that i hmm. uh i'm gonna paraphrase uh but like um you know the author was saying something along the lines of you know, nothing is off topic if you handle it well because guess what young adults experience all this stuff and mm-hmm. for the children who are from more privileged backgrounds who don't don't you know have the privilege of not experiencing some of these horrible things help maybe it gives them some empathy and ability to to to, to relate to peers who have had these experiences without having to be so uh you know you know awkward about it you know so so that's that again that's what story can do is can help you have empathy and understand how someone who's not you relates to the universe uh so this is a very meandering way of answering yeah. how do i feel at disney today but like i, I just <laughs> i just feel like the co- like uh I, like i think you know frankly i think i kind of hate disney they they uh you know, I could, go, I could go on a rant about, uh, like, like let's, let's talk about, uh, it was clear to me as a parent that uh, capitalism, you know, this whole, you know, like, capital, like, gender binary is very important to capitalism because they need you to buy a kid, yeah. a, they, need to buy you a, they need to buy a new bike for each child. That, I think that's the reason it exists, right? And, and like, Disney, you know, you need to have uh, different books. Like, it's just, like, it's all about, like, what products we need you to buy for each child. It's, like, it has so little to do with actually what's important but it's so much to do with anyways um yeah it's it's it yeah. just leaves out because yeah so it's funny because i will say like there are things that are very dark about a fane fiends but i still find like some of the live action disney stuff darker than i will expose my children to which is really weird because yeah because i've gotten listeners who are like oh my god you call this a children's story i'm like yeah <laughs> Because um, yeah. <laughs> I want my kids to be able to live in a world where they witness injustice and do something about it or figure, you know, yeah. So it's, you know, there's there's yeah. lots of nuance to it, but I'm yeah. I'm just trying to, yeah, I don't know. Uh, and for those who don't know, uh, Fred really lives up to all of the things that he is talking about here. He lives off grid in Maine. <laughs> I, I, I am. <laughs> so let me, I'm going to actually, um, I'm going to turn this concept of, um, dark fantasy for children towards the adults because you start the podcast episodes with a warning about the dark aspect of the show and then you say that it is also for adults protecting the inner child Mm. or the child within um so yeah talk to me about your view on this concept of the inner child and how it shows up in your work and of course why it has to be protected let let yeah let's let's talk about that through the story of uh of the mom you know so (sighs) She loved to play in the woods and she lived the magic. She, she visited Faye. She had, you know, th- th- this magic existed until there was a trauma related to her dad's uh, cousin. And suddenly, you know, she was closed off. And th- this is like something that still haunts her 30 years later. So, um, yeah, I think that I think that's it's that's kind of what it is about is it's the childlike it's the the sense of 
anything is possible and that the the world today is not the only way the world can be, but the world can be whatever we make of it, whatever we can create it. I can be anything. Um, you know, all, all the sort of like cliches, they, they, you know, try to, they, they, there's like at some point, like the system seems to impress upon you all these, all this optimism of things you can do. And then at some point says, well, actually just kidding. We're, we want you to be a wage slave. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's, it's really about that of, of how, how, you know, can we live in a, you know, hyper consumerist, you know, late stage capitalist dystopia, but still be full of wonder all the time and still stop and look at a grasshopper and think about what a miracle that this little creature exists at all. And that for this little grasshopper among hundreds of millions of grasshoppers, it's this grasshopper now that you're just... It's just me and the grasshopper. It, that, that's a moment. And that's, that's all that actually exists are these little moments. And try, can we, can we yeah, how do we, again, going back to resistance, how do we actively resist the jadedness, which seems to be the thing that society wants to grind out of you? Because, yeah, because the machine wants to continue to grind out your creativity. It wants to grind out your desire to make the world a more beautiful place. And let's not let that happen. Let's go and make something beautiful for no reason or turn trash into art or whatever, whatever it is that makes your heart sing. Remember that because, and, and not for like, again, because for, for no end other than to create something that's more beautiful than it was before you touched it. Um, so I think, I think that's, that's what I'm, I'm hoping is that it's a, it's a wonderful journey and, um, yeah, if you're a grown up, you're picking up on some things about the family relationship and the dynamic that uh, the younger listeners aren't going to hear. But uh, hopefully you also enjoy, uh, you know, the antics with dragons and all that. <laughs> Radio Drama Revival has spent 13 years showcasing fiction podcasts and elevating the voices of their creators. We want to keep making the show and providing a platform for creators who often can't find one to welcome them. If you've enjoyed this show, if it's helped you or healed you or done the unforgivable and increased your episode queue, sorry, please consider supporting us and the show's continued existence. Become a patron at patreon.com slash radiodramarevival. We have a special secret Discord server for everyone. We organize digital parties involving PowerPoint presentations, relaxed chatting, playing podcasts for everyone, and more. To get a sneak peek at what it's like to be a patron, we recently released one of Will's famous blackmail files, which is a collection of my bloopers. And if you like that, you'll love Ellie's. All right. Thank you. Give us money. Back to the interview. So I'm going to I'm going to transition into the the spoiler zone now. Okay. So audience, if you haven't listened to all of Fae and Fiends yet um, and you don't want to be spoiled, this is when you should uh pause the audio and look at the show notes for the timestamp of when the spoiler zone ends. Okay. Um, that way you don't get any spoilers and you can come back to this section later. Okay. Um, I'm so excited with spoilers and all that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so fan fiends, a fan fiends deals with fear and with the difficulty of not letting fear consume you and guide your actions. So, um, what is empowering about presenting stories about fear through the lens of fantastical worlds like the one here? Well, 
again, that it can be beaten. You know, there are various moments where uh, Lizzie ought to be afraid. There's one particular moment where the fear becomes a monster of its own. To to just think about metaphorically, you know, just to me think metaphorically what are what are monsters really, right? And there's there's a lot of, like a lot of storytelling. It's sort of like it's you know, monsters become by default the other and the things we don't understand. When actually the most frightening things are what's right in front of us and the expectations, you know, because like, yeah, the fear. Now I'm going to go for like full spoiler, but the fear is like yeah. things that Lizzie tells herself, like, which are actually not true, probably. But, think, you know, stories she's told in her head. So like the real monsters of a Fane Fiends are not actually mythical creatures. They're nope. they're they're things that society has told her to believe or or that even if society hasn't told her deliberately that she is like passively absorbed through culture uh and just sort of knows to be scared of um because that's you know society has normalized her even at age 10. So you know wouldn't it be great if we could all just you know control all delete all the shit society put in her brain control. and get over it. Oh, it'd be great. Um <laughs> But that that sign me up for that service yeah, in the I know, future. I know, like if we could just like say, uh, like white supremacy, we're just gonna like format that hard drive and. <laughs> 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 but yeah, it takes hard work, and stories allow us to say, you know, if this is possible, uh, what happens next? What can you do? Mm-hmm. Um, and and what nice. what what can you accomplish if you're? And and I, and I would say, like you know, personally, my view is that. Yeah, it's it's uh, all these things are you never actually win. It's never act, you know, you never actually overcome. It's a it's a it's a daily it's a daily battle to overcome anything. Mm-hmm. And but yeah, to be to be inspired to uh to to say that's what they're telling me is a limitation, but what if that di- what what if that wasn't actually true? What if that limitation was only because someone else didn't want to see me reach my entire potential and it's hard it's really hard to because then what then who's hold then it's really safe and on some level it's safe to go along with what the the narrative tells you and that and that's why Faye is dangerous Faye is dangerous because it's a place where anything is possible and these and and the demons of, of society can manifest, uh, but you can also go past them and then you're really out into the unknown, uh, which can be terrifying. Um, okay, we're gonna we're gonna transition out of spoiler zone now. <laughs> Thank you for the sound effects, Fred. <laughs> it's my 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 oeuvre here. Yeah. Uh, this is what Fred provides at all of our production meetings. Uh, that's very useful. Um, so, um, of Fae and Fiends makes use of a narrator, um, which, as we have discussed on previous episodes of the show, gets a lot of flack for mm-hmm. being a lazy or incompetent way out of writing good audio fiction, in quotes. Um, and, of course, we've shown time and again that a narrator is a useful tool, like literally any other literary device. Um uh, so why did you choose to use a narrator for this show? And why is it important to consider, especially in podcasts for children? Sure. Uh, so it's funny. There have been times in my journey as an artist that I was a no, no narrator purist. So, um, you know, and a lot of like my teaching ethos, 
I'm like, I've made so many mistakes so that you please don't have to. Um, and, and being a purist <laughs> about anything, I think, is actually, is, is basically, is, uh, yeah, I'm sure there are exceptions, but generally, you know, check yourself. Um, and I will say my, my sort of purism about becoming a non-narrator person was based on the fact that I think I relied on it too much in my early shows. And so as a, when I first was discovering audio fiction, I was a, uh, really a literary, I, 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 you know, I always, my resume, whatever, say I went to film school, but I really, most of my training and most of the way I thought about how to make stories was from a literary tradition. And, uh, most of my early works, uh, were, were short, were short stories or, or slightly longer stories. Like the cleansed was originally a novel that had never been published. And, uh, day of the dead, my very first work was a, a long like novella and waiting for the window was a short story um drizzle all all those sort of early stories and my first because there weren't a whole lot of people to learn from at that point in time uh my instinct was okay well you take all the things that are not dialogue and you you have a narrator read those and then you have people read narration now you got an audio drama and you know there's a lot more to it than that and it was around a time and so i had been working maybe two or three years in the medium when there was someone who challenged me, um, it was it was waiting for a window, uh, which was a 2007 or 2008 production, and there's a the opening sequence uh, was all narrated. It's that someone is coming is sailing somewhere, and their ship gets in a storm, and they shipwreck on an island. You know, uh, and originally there was like a very lengthy description of all the things that happened beat by beat, and someone challenged me to 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 do it all with with no narration, which I did. And, and when I, when I created that scene, I was actually really quite proud of it. And that set, that set me off for like five or six years of like, no, 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 no narrators. Who needs narrators? Blah, blah. <laughs> um, and then, you know, at some point, uh, you know, and we, you know, we had done uh, pretty significant works like on, and lock and key. Uh, when that came out uh, again, I'll stand by it. I'm really proud of that show. Uh, but you would see listener reviews that would have like one star and five star, both saying the same thing, which is, it's just like a movie without the pictures. You're like, well, that was literally what we we're trying to do. Um, and <laughs> what, I don't know, what, 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 it, you know, over time, it, yeah, it's, it's like kind of funny, um, which is basically like, you just didn't yeah. expect to hear more than one voice on the audible platform, which is a different story. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, ultimately, and especially with Dark Tome, it sort of softened to like, okay, I get it. You know, in America, North America, uh, except for a few corners, there isn't a lengthy history of being exposed to audio fiction. And so it is like a muscle that you, that, that, you know, takes work. It's a different experience to hear a, a fully dialogue-driven audio drama for the first time. And so... You know, is there a way to help the, the listener along? And and again, and again, my, my rules come from what's correct for your story is correct. It's there's no rules that apply universally to all stories. Uh, yep. So with Dark Tome, it made sense because we sort of had, OK, we have Cassie. She kind of is the is the core person you're following. And, you know, this exchange allows us to sort of dramatize the short story in this interesting way. Uh, now, for Fae and Fiends, we, we live in a slightly different world now where uh, it, it's story, it's fairy tale rules. And so, fairy tales, once upon a time, mm -hmm. a older voice telling a younger voice a story is 
is the format, is the form of a fairy yes. tale. So um, the use of the narrator is both a genre convention and then I hope also uh, there are some things we do that are, are a bit unique about how, you know, how the narrator is used. And it, and it allows us to, and it does allow you to do things like talk about like the mermaids that she sees out in the distance without having to be like, oh, and there's a mermaid in the distance. Oh, neat. Because um, the mermaid is actually not really in the story. And some people argue like, why do you even put the mermaid in there? And it's like, because mermaid's beautiful. <laughs> it's part of the story. Uh, <laughs> so it's a convention and, and it, it's just, it helps with world building. I prefer narrators where you can, where they they are a character and they inhabit the story world in some way, and there's some kind of reason that they're telling a story, and like, and you can also to the person who you ask to perform that role, tell them who they're telling the story to and why, because that does a lot for performance. So if you're like, you know, going back to the very old time radio trope of like, and now blah 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 blah, and da, 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 da. it's kind of very hard <laughs> to humanize that kind of narrator because it really doesn't connect to the text in any way and there's no sort of way that it makes sense within the within the world of the story so i i tend to prefer when you do when you do use narration it's a wonderful tool uh use it responsibly like all tools um mm -hmm. but i and i tend to say let's how do, how does it how does the person directly telling the listener who are they actually talking to are they actually talking to the listener like literally and are they sort of breaking the fourth wall or are they talking to someone else in world or you know, in time and why are they telling that person that story? And that gives, that gives that, that allows them to be a character as opposed to just, you know, a voice yes. of God. The disembodied voice. Yeah. No, that's great. Those are all really, um, really good, um, techniques for figuring out when and why to use a narrator or when not. Um, and yes, once again, just like any other tool, a narrator can be used well or not well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I have, I have, <laughs> I am, I am, I Shockingly. am, uh, I am the person who like uh, sits around in uh, audio fiction conversations, going, "Stop saying that narrators are always bad." I, it's just, it's. <laughs> really not productive everyone is tired of it's, my everyone is tired of my crusade oh uh, uh, well I'll, I'll join you on that i mean, it's just it's like, just there's yeah there's more important work to be done <laughs> true correct it's like listen <laughs> um yeah let's talk about fantasy audio design actually since we are talking about designing uh sound and when to choose a narrator so a lot of your most of your work uh I don't know about all your work, but most of your work is in some kind of speculative fiction, right? Mm -hmm. um, horror, fantasy, a little bit of sci-fi thrown in there for a flavor. Um, young adult, adult, you know, all these things. Um, and you've done a lot of work with monsters and fantastical creatures and magic. So what makes for a uh, a, a good or a well-represented uh, fantastical creature in audio? How do you approach presenting them in an engaging way fit for sound? Ooh. That's a fun question. Yeah, I, I will say uh, at some point I was in a literary writing class and it was a very sort of old school, like, uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the way of Faulkner and Hemingway. And, you know, I, I, I presented this short story and like, it's like, Fred, can you write a serious story? Can you write a serious story? <laughs> like, 
Nope. Oh, fuck him. <laughs> nope. No, I can't. <laughs> no, um, go away. So, uh, like, yeah, and I, this, this, this part of me goes back to um, literally being a kid in class in a public school, bored out of my mind, drawing and going, <laughs> and, you know, in my head, this entire, you know, I'm drawing pictures of dragons and stuff, and, like, in my head is this whole, like, you know, movie in your mind. Um, so like, I really have found a home as an audio artist, um, in that. So, uh, anyways, that's, that's more of an aside, but uh, a way to say that I find it's fun and fun is okay. There's also a thing where like some people like, there's this like whole concept of work has to be like unfun. And if you didn't have fun making your piece of storytelling, it's probably not going to be fun for anyone to listen to. And, and yeah, I, 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 Shout out to all of the boring people who keep telling everyone to not put descriptions in their scripts. Yeah, it's no not joke, fun. No, and like, and all the like, oh, and this director was like, they're so serious, and they were like, you know, and like all the toxic people that are making art, and you're like, you suck. You just suck. You just suck. Like the yeah. world's full of enough misery, and this is please, the one. This is the one tool. This is the one tool that can like heal souls. And you just got to make this miserable too? Like, F you. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I like to have fun. I like to like make crazy soundscapes. Um, the uh, If people would like to check out the Radio Drum Revival archives, one of the funnest <laughs> interviews I ever conducted was with uh, Michael McDonough. Uh, I think I remember his name correctly. Was the gentleman who did Bradbury 13, uh, which was kind of a crazy story. Like that project... Uh, adapting a bunch of Ray Bradbury stories. He was pretty young at the time. He had known Ray Bradbury just sort of like being a kid in LA who had seen him in a couple of readings and somehow got a grant back when grants were available from NPR to do this uh, adaptation of all these short stories. And he did some of this really pioneering sound design work. And uh, yeah, and anyways, the, the, hearing some of the stuff he did was just crazy. So, um, you know, what... It, you know, he talked about like the, the, there's a dinosaur sound in um, Sound of Thunder. There's a story about a Ray Bradbury story about how someone goes back in time to hunt a Tyrannosaurus Rex and then, oops, uh, you know, changes the timeline. And uh, yeah, he talks about like, you know, how, where did that Tyrannosaurus Rex sound come from? And I'm, I'm convinced, I don't, I don't know there's an actual uh, like sort of genealogical tracking of this happening, but I'm, I, to my ear, I'm convinced he influenced the sound of the T-Rex in Jurassic Park um, because it's, it's, it's dead on. It's very, very similar type of creature design. And it ended up being a, uh, uh, a male Mustang in heat trying to get out of his pen to go get with a female mixed with a bunch of other sounds. Um, which is like... What? Yeah, yeah. And he was just <laughs> like... With like... That and is... like lower it and add a little bit of dirt and... Um, and I have to, wildly now, specific. Now you have now you have a dinosaur. Um, so so this is, I guess this is a way of me trying to credit my sources of like having yeah. encountered uh, you know people who have done sound design and another guy uh, you know Randy Tom who worked with Eric Bowersfeld back in the who was also mentored Tom Lopez just throwing names because I'm a jerk um, but like you know that KPFA scene in the 70s out in San Francisco. Yo, know, that was kind of a moment where some of this 
what what are what are some of the rules of how creatures sound some of that stuff was developed so those are just people whose work i follow and, and when they say stuff about oh this is how i make a creature effect th- those are some of the the primary sources i go to for that sort of stuff um so i i'm not convinced i've done anything incredibly original with adding new like any adding, adding anything to the conversation about how you make creature sounds but i will say what you literally hear in a Fae and Fiend. So, uh, for example, there's a uh, minor spoiler. Episode 4, there's a dragon. Um, and the first cut of the sound design, and I had a uh, team member working with me, uh, it was sort of all, like, library dragon sounds, and it just didn't feel like there was a dragon in the room with you. And um, we had worked with my late, Again, dear friend and mentor, William Dufries, who had actually done some dragon sounds for me, which somehow didn't make it into the final, like somehow didn't make it into the dialogue edit. And so, you know, we had designed just sort of like based on library sounds. Like, no, 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 like you need, for a creature design to work, you do need a performer because that's what makes it uh, feel like there's a character, like there's actually something in the room with you. And so then I, I was able, I dug, dug, dug and dug, and I found Bill's performance where it, uh, you know, kind of sounds like, and you know it sounds like a human voice but then you you then you just do all this like you know crazy stuff in post you like you know pitch shift it you slow it down you add the sound of a grizzly bear to it and and now and you know eventually you sort of end up with something that starts to sound like a dragon and there's there's a plugin i love called dehumanizer um that that does these things that like this gives you a bunch of knobs and like little like ideas of how to create monsters and so yeah there's like there's and and that's you know it's done a lot in video games so there is sort of a cultural norm of of kind of how monsters should sound that i sort of leaned into i don't think i did anything incredibly original with that um but i do think having actors play the creature voices is really important because that's what makes them feel like they're actually there and not sort of like, okay, now we're hearing people in a moment and there's suddenly these random sound effects that are actually a monster. But no, the monster is like, there's a performer in the costume. You gotta get that, you gotta get that performer and then the costume is all the sound design you plop up on top of it. I love this. You're talking about like, it gives it depth, right? Yeah, it, um, it makes it feel... It, it, it feels rounded out, um, especially yeah. to our ears because we're used to hearing emotion and and voices and attitude and stuff through like performers voices and so like if you're if you're designing a creature sound having it having part of it even if we can't identify it ideally that we can't identify it right be like someone performing into a mic um like our brains will pick up on that even if we don't totally and i i have to do a a sidebar here and say so i was just sound designing something today and oh my gosh, footsteps, footsteps, bane of my existence. No, um, oh no, but like, but the I, bane of sound but, designers but also, everywhere. Um, so sound design itself should be the same way. So I think um, this is where, you know, I would like to continue to challenge all of us because I, I don't think this, this is not really a, a, a money thing. This is a um, think outside the box thing um, where, uh, I don't know. I was, yeah, I spent probably an hour and a half today trying to make the sound of someone on a bicycle sound okay. 
and just was not working. And I just like got out <laughs> on my bicycle and farted around for five minutes and I got like exactly what I wanted. And because I knew I, but I, but I was also a performance. It's also not just like, oh, you need to have a bicycle to do this. It's like mm-hmm. you, you kind of like, um, sound is the, the best. There's lots of great things on, you know, you know, library sounds. Like obviously if you're, you have like a, a chase scene with a bunch of cars, you're not going to like, please don't steal cars or break any laws for me. <laughs> but um, there are certain types of, types of just like footsteps is one of those ones where it is so hard. Cause like, I don't, almost every library footstep sound you have is sort of clop, 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 clop. And it's just, anytime I hear that in a piece of audio fiction, it's like, that's the thing I'm fighting. Like, in, I fight to stay in the story when that happens. Cause I'm like, no, 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 please. Why did you do that? Now I'm hearing this clip, clop, clip, clop. And it just sounds like Monty Python. Ah! Um, <laughs> when like actually footsteps can do a lot to, uh, uh, to, to communicate, like, is this someone who's like nervous entering this room or are they really proud entering the, you know, do they think they own this room or do you think is someone backing off when someone is saying this or are they in, are they moving in on someone else's personal space or, you know, how does someone walk or, you know, there's actually quite a lot about character you can inform through something as simple as footsteps, but the way to get there is to try and, you know, perform it yourself and not to use something from a, from a, you know, freesounds.org as much as I, myself have used that site plenty of times over the years um so this is just a recall to arms of like um yeah like uh, you know and and ironically it can actually be less work to go make something and then to to find something off the shelf that's not quite the right thing so yeah so 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 it's it's the same for creatures it just uh, certain kinds of sounds I, like ambiences i'm a little bit less like that about but uh sort of like kinetic sounds sounds that happen within the moment um can really can really help uh i definitely uh this was the first project where i got to (laughs) uh i got to use my my machetes uh that i brought back from belize um to do some oh my god uh like that that whole like uh there's a there's a you know scene with sword fighting and i sword fought myself it was very fun Uh, (laughs) because i have two of them ding ding ching 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 it was I have one last question for you. Um, so what are your top podcast choices for our audience to go listen to if they want more um, family friendly mm. or young adult uh, fantasy adventure? Uh, well, there's a whole sea of things. Um, I want to go see what the Gen Z folks, they just put out this uh, Iowa and like the last dog on earth or something along those lines. I have not checked it out yet, but I'm really excited. If people have not been into Fly's Fables yet, obviously that is a great yeah. place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be bereft if I didn't mention my friends at Pinna, which their whole app is around this kind of experience. So P-I-N-N-A, like they're, they're out there. Um, the Grim Grimmer Grimmest is really fun. Um, stories podcast I, was, I when you first said that for some reason unseen was the very first show that popped in my head which is not at all i would think uh, no. classified as family friendly but i really am enjoying it lately uh we love us anansi story time around here that is yes. that that one gets so that gets requested uh a lot by my kiddos <laughs> what else do i have here um yeah Elvis Alex is more for me than the kids, but anyways, <laughs> the, the, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of good shows. Um, yeah, no, that's a good list. 
Unspookable just came out, which is not actually fiction, but um, I I came across them and they it's sort of like debunking thing, you know, debunking myths for kids. Uh, a lot of fun. Oh, that's cute. Um, I like that. Yeah, and we also did something. So, Fane Fiends uh, were trading with uh, Ponders and team on the Wanderer, which is I would say more in the lines of the fairy tale for grown-ups, but I've been really enjoying that show as well. Um, so, uh, in no particular order, those are some things that popped out of Fred's head just now. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about um, that I did not cover? Just that make stuff is beautiful. <laughs> think about all the, the technology, think about all the people that came before and all the technology that had to be made. And now you have a computer in your pocket and you can just tell stories. It's so cool. It's so cool. It's just pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Very- um, my kids, like we, we have a, whatever, we have a sauna and they, they like to use it as like their little cubby hole. They take, I gave them my daughter, uh, my old Zoom H2, which was the start. Yeah, I probably recorded 400 episodes of Radio Room Revival on that recorder. Oh um, my God. And it's still in, still in use today. And the story of the broomstick lady, very terrifying. And broomstick lady's partner the clown also terrifying and you know just remember that part going back to inner child just remember you know it's hard it's an ongoing daily battle to remember the part of you that was in love with everything that was not as beaten down by the world as what the world has produced for us to try and beat us down but like that is that is you know can any of us individually stop the the rampant tide of all this craziness? Like, probably not. But if we can all, like, say, you know what? This world is all messed up in all sorts of ways, but I still think it's pretty and I want to make something pretty while I'm here. I think that's, you know, you will not have lived a bad life if that's what you can do. So that's my my closing argument. Very good closing argument. Thank you for coming on the show, Fred. Thank you for chatting. This is so fun. So fun. So fun. Thank you, Ellie. If you loved this interview and you want to hear more of Fred's work, head to his website, finalrune.com. In addition to Of Fae and Fiends, I especially love The Dark Tome and The Mind Crystal. Well, I especially love Fred, but his work is great too. Radio Drama Revival runs on dozens and dozens of tins of seasonal teas with cute names like Amacha Made in Heaven and Vanderpumpkin Rules and I'm Lying, but it's officially Halloween season, so whatever, all lies are true. The veil between worlds is thin. Give us money. If you'd like to help us keep afloat and featuring new, diverse, unique fiction podcasts and their creators, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash radiodramarevival. And now, we bring you our moment of Anne. Has this week just been absolutely unhinged for everyone else? It's not just me, right? It can't just be me. Wait, is... Ugh, okay. Yep, that makes sense. Mercury is in retrograde. So that, that, it's the stars, I guess. Thank you, Anne. And that means it's time for the credits. This podcast was recorded in Washington, D.C., which is the unceded territory of the Piscataway Indian Nation, the Piscataway Kanoi Tribe, the Pamunkey People, and the Nanticoke people. Our theme music is Reunion of the Space Ducks by the band Kilokaz. You can find their music on the Free Music Archive. Our audio producer is Will Williams. Our marketing manager and line producer is Ann Baird. Our researcher is Heather Cohen. Our submissions editor is Rashika Rao. 
Our associate marketing manager is Jillian Schrager. Our transcriptionist is Katie Yeomans. Our audio consultant is Eli Hamada McElveen. Our associate producer is Sean Howard. Our executive producers are Fred Greenhalge and me. Our mascot is Ticker Tape, the goat. And your usual host is Elena Fernandez Collins, but I remain your humble servant, David Reinstrom. And this has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers welcome.